some of it has uh, has to do with the notion of of intentionality where you'll look at something and you'll know exactly what you want to say with the photograph and then there are other times when you just have to uh, trust your intuition and see something this photography podcast is brought to you by frames quarterly printed photography magazine here is your today's host w scott olsen with another fascinating conversation Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today, today, folks, we are diving into aesthetics. Today, we are diving into some of the base assumptions about what our form of art is capable of, what its borders are, and some of, some of the really interesting creative ideas that are out there. We're talking with Frank Stiberski. Frank is a photographer in Chicago. He photographs abstracts, shapes, reflections found, he says, in everyday things things. Worked in commercial labs and supply sources for 40 years, and he was a board member of the Northwest Arts Connection, which is an advocacy group dedicated to presenting art with connections to community. Frank established the Shot of Art series, a really, really interesting series at Percolator, a outlet, a, a, a gallery in Chicago, and was his original curator. Frank is best known uh, recently in the Frames community for an article that he wrote for the magazine about abstract photography, and we're going to get into that just as quickly as we can. Frank, how are you doing today? Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here, and it's a pleasure to talk to you. Well, I, I am thrilled to be talking with you because you have one of the most unique visions and one of the most creative approaches to photography that we have in the group. You flatter uh, and, and me, sir. Just... <laughs> well, you know, we, we all you know do our best to come up with a voice, and every now and then a voice comes along that's a little bit clearer, a little bit more forceful, and you look at it and you say, "Yeah, that that that's there's something authentic there." This is going to seem like an odd question. Tell me about how COVID has affected your photography. Because looking at the stuff you've got online, you do say that COVID's forced you to sort of rethink what you were doing, but abstract photography is not something you came up with just two years ago. So tell me about what it's like to be you today. Wow. <laughs> I'm not sure how I know how to answer that question, but uh, what I can tell you is that COVID has affected probably everyone. It's certainly limited mm -hmm. our mobility. Uh, I don't fly as much. I don't drive as much. I'm more cautious about being in large groups and especially groups of people that I, I don't know. So it's um, changed the way I've been taking photographs just in that I don't get around as much as I used to, so a lot of the things I shoot are things that are close to home. I did a um, show recently at uh, a place called Percolator, and uh, it's kind of my home base for displaying pictures. And it's uh, stuff that I either shot over the last two years, I call it uh, uh, my confinement pictures, where I was kind of isolated from the rest of the world. And there are things that I shot uh, nearby. Uh, a lot of the things were shot within, say, a mile of where I live, at just places where I could uh, walk to or go to easily in a car and uh, not necessarily be in crowds or um, worry about uh, who I was going to meet. 
But yeah, it's definitely affected the things that I shoot. Although uh, the way I shoot things, I just as easily find interesting things to photograph in, in my kitchen drawers as I do a thousand miles away. So in, in that sense, it really hasn't changed my approach. If anything, it's, it's changed my mobility. And of course, some of the, some of the images that were in that show were images that I took some time ago and just sat on a hard drive for a long time. And I finally got a chance to look at them over and over and over again. And uh, occasionally that happens where an image from long ago will finally make sense and I'll, and I'll understand what to do with that picture. I may shoot something that I, I know is interesting intuitively, but I just don't know how to express it in a final photographic way in, in terms of a print. So uh, when I'm looking at it, yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting. It's interesting. Now, what's so interesting about it? And some of it has, uh, has to do with the notion of, of intentionality where you'll look at something and you'll know exactly what you want to say with the photograph. And then there are other times when you just have to uh, trust your intuition and see something and know that it's interesting, but you're not quite sure what to do with the picture once it's turned into pixels. Absolutely. Well, th th there's two elements there that I want to pick up on. The the pictures from the confinement, which is the show at Percolator, is is a brilliant show. And folks, you can find it very easily on the web. Uh, just go to frankstaberski.weebly.com and, and there it is. It is, for the most part, photoreal. It has really interesting thematic elements in terms of confinement and borders and stuff like that. And it, it is, especially in the time of COVID, when we are all confined, a really evocative piece. But in the write-up for it, you know, you, you talk about, you know, the restricted opportunities, the restricted travel and all that. And you say, you know, I had to start looking at familiar subjects in new ways. And then you, you sort of question this whole notion of recognizing objects for their functionality, you know, privileging that over any other way of, of looking at stuff. You know, how, how does that fit in this development of an abstract aesthetic for your work? Well, there are definitions of what an abstract image is and I differ with some of those uh, definitions. Some people call abstract work non-representational. I don't like that description because it defines abstract in the context of what it isn't about. The, I, I think the the Tate has a better definition. I just happen to have it in front of me because uh, I thought we might be talking about it. Yeah, and it's in your article. Well, yeah, and, and for those who don't have uh, the article in front of them, it says abstract art is art that does not attempt to represent an accurate depiction of a visual reality, but instead uses shapes, colors, forms, and gestural marks to achieve its effect. I think that's better, but I still take issue with it the issue that I take is that in its assertion that uh, abstract art doesn't attempt to represent an accurate depiction of, of, of a visual reality, I would disagree with that. Uh, I, in my opinion, there are abstract elements in probably everything you see. And those abstract elements 
have nothing to do with a subject's functional identity, but they're nonetheless, nonetheless, they are very real. Things like uh, lines, shapes, colors, patterns, they're all part of an image and part of a subject, but for some reason, we don't know what to do with them, so we kind of dismiss them as either being unimportant or invisible, and at some point, we may just simply dismiss them as not being realistic or real at all. Do, do, do you really th- do, do you really think that we that we dismiss abstract art because you know impressionist painting, you know that kind of stuff? And, and you make a big comparison with painting in your article as mm-hmm. well. But you know we are historically comfortable with abstract expression of some sort. I mean, you could argue that music is by definition, you know, an abstract expression of an emotion. But do we have certain expectations of photography to be photoreal that work against an abstract aesthetic? Absolutely. Um, I worked in the photo industry for a long time. I was, uh, I worked at uh, camera stores. I was actually a camera buyer for uh, a couple of major photographic outlets. And then I worked at uh, photo labs, and the dominant form that photograph photography took was something that was uh, highly representational and basically documentary. The camera manufacturers can't sell abstract; they can only sell documentary images, and uh, the way they do that is by producing the fastest shutters, the fastest motor drives, and lenses that are either tack sharp or can zoom in to something a mile away. None of that stuff lends itself to to a mass market appeal. So they wind up selling the things that they can sell, which is documentary stuff. That's what we look for in a photograph. And, and those are the expectations that we have of what a photograph should look like. The, the opposite side of that is that that's the kind of photographs we, we take because the, that's the kind of photograph that people expect us to make, and that's what, what they expect to see. You know, there, there, there is the expectation, you know, that I, I'm buying a camera to preserve moments of my life, my family's life, you know, what all that. You know, we, we have the classic, you know, basement scenario of somebody with a carousel of slides and saying, you know, here's my trip to Disney World. Yeah, if, if, if we're all accustomed to taking pictures of our summer vacation, you know, just to have a record of it, why, why does that make it difficult then for us to accept non-photoreal, non-completely representational photography as being legitimate? I don't know how to answer that question. Uh, (laughs) For me, I had a hard time finding what my voice was in photography. Again, I I worked in the photographic industry, which is dominated by by, uh, photography that was basically documentary for a long time. And... It, it took a long time for me to say that all of these pictures are, are okay, but they're all in the service of, a, of another, another purpose. They're all there to sell something, to sell somebody, to uh, stroke somebody's ego, to document something either for technical purposes. You take a picture of, of your kids so that 20 years from now you'll, re- you'll remember the event that they were at. But 
I always felt that there was something beyond that 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 was important and that was being missed because our our emphasis was on documenting people, things, and events. Uh, I'm not sure how I if I answer your question or not. Oh, absolutely. Uh, let, me, let me ask you about a couple of your images. The one that you have at the beginning of the article, the one that's called, called I See Red, is a brilliant, vibrant picture. It, it pops right at you both with, with the, the volume of the colors, the, the way the colors are organized, the shapes. And if you look at it for more than, you know, five or six, seven seconds, you, you figure out what you're looking at. But that's not the meaning of the picture. What kind of a response, you know, have you been getting to that image? What kind of intent were you going after when you put it together? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked about that that picture because that picture was actually a pivotal image in the development of my voice away from documentary photography. I still take pictures that are very representational, but I also they're in these same pictures. There are also abstract elements, and in that picture. That picture was taken at, at a street fair here in Chicago. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, with street fairs here. Perhaps they're the same way where you are. But uh, vendors come by and they set up their booths and they, uh, they hang their wares in the booths. And this particular fair had a booth that um, was featuring garments and uh, instruments from, I think, Peru. So what you're really looking at in that image is a bunch of ukuleles that are lined up side by side. And I was attracted to the colors and the shapes. Some people see ribbons. Some people see the rib- ribbon candy that you used to get from the, uh, the candy store years ago. But for me, beyond the fact that they were ukuleles and musical instruments, the shapes and the colors just spoke to me as lines, blocks of color, blocks of shapes. And the attraction was those things, which had nothing to do with their their, uh, identity as a musical instrument. But one of the re- one of the real strengths of that image is you've got that little gap just over there on the left where you can see into the the, the yeah. um, you know the hole in the yeah. ukulele stuff. So after just a couple of seconds, and I didn't know if they were ukuleles or guitars. I couldn't you know tell scale. But no, same thing. Same shape. Do 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 we need that little bit of grounding for this image to really work? In my opinion, yes. In fact, I've I've got. Um, I've got it used uh, in, as part of a poster for um, a show I did some time ago. And so I'm looking at it now. And yes, you indeed do need that. I always like to put a little bit of context in my images to anchor them or ground them. And you can see the abstract elements, but you can also tell that those abstract elements are part of something that's very real and very functional and has another identity besi- besides the the colors and shapes and lines. Mm-hmm. I find this to be a, a remarkable and impressive image because, you know, it is not about ukuleles or, or guitars. You know, it, it, it is about all the other things, but, you know, you got to have that other element in there. I mean, 
this harks back to me, you know, almost to, to a language problem. Um, if you remember the work by uh, Piet Mondrian, all, the, all those just, you know, um, red squares and white squares and stuff. There was no way to talk about that. You know, here's this marvelous, marvelous piece of art. And what is it? Well, it's a bunch of lines and colors. And it took a lot of circling for people to find a, a way to access that conversation. I think with your image, you can say, oh, here's a picture of a bunch of musical instruments. And now let's talk about lines and colors. So does the abstract need a representational foundation most of the time? I don't know if it does. I think that it may at times, uh, sometimes it doesn't need it. I, I think abstract elements can be shown or rendered or portrayed by an artist without necessarily revealing those anchors that tell you what you're photographing. Some people say that if you can tell what something is, it's not abstract at all. Well, maybe. I tend to disagree with that. Uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm thinking of, of some of the marvelous pictures that were taken with the Hubble telescope. Beautiful images, beautiful colors, beautiful shapes. To the layman who doesn't know what that is, that's abstract. To the, to the astronomer, he knows exactly what that is. That's representational to him. He, he knows what all those things are, and uh, he may appreciate it for the colors as well. But in his case, it's both, I hope that it's both abstract and representational. Certainly it's representational. To me, it's abstract, but knowing what it is, it's, uh, it's representational as well. Now, cameras uh, were intended to represent or, or, or show things that are real or representational. It's very hard, given the way that optics are made and shutters are made, for you to take a picture of something that you can't identify. So what are those things that, that are, are truly abstract? I don't think that representational and the abstract are necessarily mutually exclusive. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you said that because now I want to I want to pose a, a question for you here. You have a marvelous picture just on the um, Frames Facebook page that you talk about. You know, say it's the view through melting snow on your windshield uh, and it's a tree or a bush or whatever. And, and while the water's melting on the windshield, you know, every, everything is getting blurry and stuff. I could claim that that is a 100 percent photoreal documentary or documentary image of, you know, an a, a abstract shape, but the image itself is uh, 100% nonfiction, let's say. Put that right next to somebody else's intentional camera movement or, or where, you know, the, the act of shooting the image uh, is its own diffusion. Is there a difference between somebody who's, who's doing, say, intentional camera movement and your image of the water on your windshield? I don't know if, it, if there is a, a difference. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to speak to anybody else's motives or intentions. In that particular photograph, um, we all know what it is. The fact that I used uh, my windshield and, and uh, the melting snow on the windshield as a photo filter was just a, a delightful coincidence or accident. 
the timing was perfect and uh, in some way it distorted what we all are very familiar with and showed me what it looks like under different circumstances. And uh, so the lines were modified, the shapes were modified, the background was uh, uh, an overcast sky. Again, I'm not, I'm not going to speak to anybody else's intentions or, or, or motives, but, but uh, I think it's just another example of how something can be both abstract and representational at the same time. Let's take just a quick break. We hope very much that you are enjoying today's episode. The very fact that you are listening to this podcast suggests that photography means a lot to you. And if that's the case, you might want to have a look at Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. We truly believe that excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit readframes.com to find out more about our publication. And now, back to today's conversation. Oh, absolutely. And, and what I'm wondering, because I, do, I don't believe abstract is a technique. I, I believe it's an aesthetic. I, I believe it's a philosophy. It's, it's a way uh, of looking at the world. And frankly, it doesn't matter if the technique is Photoshop or intentional camera movement or water on a windshield. It, it's a way of thinking about the image. Uh, that finally comes along that is asking for something different from those of us looking at the image. I'm, I'm thinking of your image now that you call patio chair, which I, 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 it's a killer image. I absolutely love this one mm -hmm. because at one level, I know exactly what it is, but I will spend all sorts of time looking at that image because it's coming at me in ways I didn't expect. It's got colors. It's got textures. It's calling all sorts of emotional things up in me partially based on my history with similar chairs, but also just look at, look at how all these things are playing together. You know, what, what is it you hope people are doing when they're viewing your photography? Well, by doing, I mean, thinking, feeling. Yeah. You know, on, on one level, I, I just, I just hope that they, they enjoy what I'm seeing and I'm, I'm happy to present my voice or my, my photographic vision to someone else. And uh, I, I sincerely hope that they receive some kind of enjoyment from viewing the images. I do hope that they like the pictures. I hope that uh, uh, the images are thought-provoking. And I hope that I'm able to get people to look at what they're seeing in a new way. I, I think that sometimes we look at things too literally. Uh, a couple of years ago, I, I had an epiphany of sorts I was in, uh, it was Tampa, Tampa or St. Pete, wherever the um, Salvador Dali Museum is. And uh, we were looking at uh, some of the uh, images there. And uh, there was a uh, docent conducting a tour of uh, some of the galleries nearby. And I, and I overheard what the docent was saying. And then he uh, pointed out a, a photograph that Dali had made and uh, his comment was um, that the picture wasn't really very extraordinary because uh, it, it wasn't, it didn't show any of, of Dolly's uh, surreal art or, or intentions in it. But, but I, I took a look at that photograph after the, the group left and I thought, my goodness, this man is just not 
looking at, or he's just looking at the photograph too literally. There are all kinds of lines and shapes, and and it was a black and white photograph, so there weren't any colors. But you can look at something one way, and if you expect to see certain things, you'll see them. But sometimes you just can miss everything else if you only expect to see certain things and you only expect to look at a photograph a certain way. When you go out shooting, what are you looking for? I usually don't go out with any particular intention. Uh, I carry a camera with myself almost all the time, so I'm almost always at, at the ready. But I tend to look at everything. And uh, I'm, I don't consider myself a documentary photographer. I don't consider myself a landscape photographer. I don't consider myself a portrait photographer. I'm not a street photographer. But those kind of subjects... Uh, appear in some of my pictures. And what I look for is something that strikes me in an interesting way. I posted a picture on uh, the uh, Frames Facebook group uh, today. It was a picture of a bridge crossing uh, the Chicago River. But how many times have we seen a bridge? It really wasn't a picture of a bridge. What 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 interested me, what what was interesting was the color, the the lines of the bridge. It was a picture of a section of the bridge, and then there was a very distinct shadow of a human being on it. So, all those elements combined to show me something that I didn't expect, and it, it showed me the the subject in a, in a different way and uh, in a different context. And I, I think that's what I look for when I go out shooting. I look for something that that is interesting. Perhaps I have not seen it before or uh, not seen it in, the, in this particular way before. And sometimes it's very profound. Sometimes it's... it's uh, just something that is, is of interest to me, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily post or, or, or display anywhere. There is something about your work which really does present quite often familiar objects, either specifically, you know, or, or in terms of type, in, in a completely fresh way. And, and something that I think I know well, something as mundane as a fork or a spoon comes out, and I think I've never thought of it this way before. I've never seen it that way. And, and the world does get much larger, for me at least, looking at your work, because I begin to realize all these extra elements, you know, to the, to the objects that I had ne- my imagination wasn't up for yet. So the, the bridge shot that you're talking about, you know, yeah, you know, there's a bunch of metal, there's a bunch of rivets, there's a shadow, but boy, you spend a little bit of time and the shapes and the patterns and even the little chalk circles and stuff really gets to be compelling. A couple things I want to ask you about. You've got a video uh, out there, <laughs> which, I, yeah, the, the, the images that, oh, I forget how you described it. It's, it's on your Facebook page. It's a five minute and 55 second oh, video. Oh, yeah, of, yeah. Yep. Tell me the story behind that, because I clicked on that just thinking I, I was going to look at a little bit of it, and I just dug the whole thing. So t- tell me what is, I mean, tell everybody who's listening what's in this and where this idea came from. Well, I've always loved music at uh, one, 
at one time I, I was in a garage band when I was in high school. I played, uh, well, today you would call it a keyboard, but, uh, back in those days, it was back in those days, it was a combo organ. And, uh, the, the really cool kids had a, a Vox Continental. And I don't know if you, if you're familiar with the Vox Continental, but it was a single manual keyboard transistor. It was made in the United States by Thomas Organ. I'm not sure who made it in uh, the UK, but uh, the colors of the keys were reversed. So all of the white keys that you would see on a piano are black and all the black keys were white. And um, it had uh, three or four draw bars like you would see on a Hammond organ, but um, it had a, a very unique sound. I didn't have one of those. I had a Farfisa combo compact, which... Unfortunately, it didn't sound the same. I didn't think it was quite as cool. Anyway, I'm, I'm taking you down this trip to memory lane. But uh, when I was in high school, I was, I was very involved in, in music. I was in a couple of bands. Uh, when I went to college, that all stopped. I just didn't have the time for it. Got married, had to go to work. Didn't have any time for any of that, uh, that stuff. After I retired... I uh, went to Best Buy and bought a, a, a keyboard and uh, a couple guitars and a uh, digital audio recorder from um, off of Craigslist. And I put together a couple tunes that, uh, that I employed myself as uh, the sole musician on. There's some guitar tracks and uh, keyboard tracks and bass and some percussion on it. And um, that went nowhere. Um, nobody seemed interested. <laughs> nobody, I, uh, sent it to a couple of people and, and they were polite and, uh, you could tell that they really weren't interested in it. And one guy told me not to quit my day job. And so it just sat there and, but, but I, I don't know if, I don't know if, uh, faith in some of the tracks that, uh, I kept listening to them. And, uh, and then I had all, all these pictures that, uh, go back years and years and also, they were just sitting there doing nothing. So why not just put the music and the, and the visuals together in a slideshow that are kind of synchronized to the music and, uh, and uh, upload it to uh, YouTube? It's there if you want to look at it. I, I wish yeah, you would. I, I'm, 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 watching, I'm, I'm scrolling by it right now. But uh, honestly, um, I, I'm not getting many views but it, it's there and uh, it, it's kind of neat and uh, I enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully other people enjoy it too. If they want to uh, make the effort to uh, go to YouTube and uh, plug in my name, they'll, they'll, they'll find it. Well, and they can get it. They, they can get the link off your, your own Facebook page too. But one of the things oh, that yeah, I yeah, find compelling, sure. One of the things I find compelling about this, because, you know, some of it's fine art photography, a lot of it is, is you know, what we're calling abstract, but they're going by at a clip of, you know, three to five seconds each. And it's a really neat emotional experience to, to get, you know, there's this fresh image in front of you. You start to investigate it a little bit and another one comes along and another. There's a whole vocabulary here of response to abstract photography, to, you know, unusual lines and colors that I think makes for a really compelling, like I said, five minutes and, and 55 seconds. So I do want to recommend that everybody go look at that. Uh, one of the things you mentioned is that they go by, they go by an, at, a, at a pretty good clip. That's partly intentional and, and partly 
because I understand that uh, the time that somebody is going to, to devote to looking at a picture before they get bored is very brief. And if, if I left a picture on the screen too long, you'd get bored and tired of looking at it pretty quick. Uh, and I think that's, that's true. That's true of a, of a lot of things that we find in our society today. The, the time that somebody's going to spend looking at, uh, one of my pictures or anyone else's picture on uh, social media is probably going to be just a very few seconds. So you've got to make an impression in that short a time or it's just going to get uh, scrolled by. I I have a real problem with that and and I've seen it you know all the time with people on their phones their tablets their computers but I I'm also seeing more and more in galleries the the, the kind of strolling observation where people go into a hall and they don't ever stop they just they walk by every piece of art in, instead of taking advantage of the bench that's right there for them to have a seat I, I do you think is that just who we are these days? Is that a result of being so saturated with images that we're, we just don't understand the slowness anymore? Yeah, I think I think that's part of it. We are overwhelmed with images. I think in, in my article, the article I wrote about um, the way I view abstraction, mm -hmm. I pointed out that, that uh, I was watching TV one day and a commercial break came out, came out and there, there might have been four or five different commercials in, in a very few minutes. And there were, I don't know, hundreds of, of different screen changes in that time before the, uh, the normal programming went, uh, went back. And we're just conditioned now to see things very quickly. And we don't have an interest in looking at things for a very long time. Now, it could be too, that, that some people are just very quick studies, or perhaps uh, we've been conditioned to be quick studies and don't need to see things longer than, than a second or two. But I do think that if there's anything of significance, anything if there's an image that's complex, uh, you, you're going to miss a lot of things in that short of a time. So sometimes I we just cr we just craft images to be very simple so that uh, you you make a point and move on without trying to be too complex or too layered or sophisticated in in the messages that you're trying to tell. I am hoping that abstract art uh, in, in, is a way to fight that. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at a number of your images right now, and you have one image, for example, of um, flute or piccolo keys. I, I can't tell oh, which. Yeah, it's a flute. And it'd be, it'd be really easy to look at that and say, okay, flute keys, next. Um, but boy, force yourself to spend more than two and a half seconds, and this becomes a really rich, very textured uh, composition of shape and color and shadow and light. It, it's worth time, but there, I can see somebody saying, I get the representation, time to move on. I mean, looking at other, you know, there's a little pepper. Great. There's a feather. Great. Force yourself to spend that extra half second and a world opens up, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah I would agree. And thank you very much for, for seeing that in my, in my pictures. 
obviously, I think enough of my subjects to photograph them and and uh, show them in in ways that I think are are more complex than than a casual viewing would would uh, indicate. So, uh, yes, thank you very much. I, I I do think that there is a world of visual information out there that we sometimes miss by not lingering a little bit and uh, absorbing what we're seeing. There, there was for many years back in the 80s in literary criticism, a school of criticism called Reader Response, which had the proposition that the text finally didn't matter. The only thing that mattered was your perception of it as a reader, as an audience. And it was a whole way to unpack basically, you know, literary appreciation. I don't think we talk enough about those of us looking at images and what we owe the image and, and what we owe ourselves when coming up against some stuff. If, if all we're getting is, is the quick fill in the blank, oh yeah, that's a ukulele, we, we've completely botched our job and, and our responsibility as viewers, I think. Frank, what are you working on now? What, what's, what's the newest stuff that's coming out? I don't have anything planned. And, <laughs> well, good. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, that's that's part of the way I I work. I, I don't. I touched on on uh, the concept of intentionality briefly earlier in our conversa- conversation, and uh, some photographers will have a, a list of things that that they want to go out and photograph. I don't work from a list. In some respects. I shoot by the seat of my pants. I, I go out, and if I see something that interests me, I'll spend some time with it. But I don't have any any uh, planned projects. I, I guess I, I should. On, on a, <laughs> I, I might I might be more productive in the things that I I photograph if I if I did have a set list. Sometimes I'll see something when I'm when I'm driving and I'll make a mental note of it to come back to shoot it. But uh, beyond that uh, very occasional occurrence, I'm rather spontaneous about my approach to making images. Well, I mean, God love you for that because with the, the talent and the genius that you've got for identifying shape and color, five minutes in the change of the position of the sun alters the world for you. And so just to be ready, I think is, is enough. Thank you. Frank, this has been fantastic. I, I have to admit, I am a fan of your work. It, it speaks to me in ways that I am not a part of as a photographer, but as an audience, I, I absolutely adore this stuff. So thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. Before we go, though, there, there is one other point that, that I'd like to make. Sure. I appreciate that, that you like my work, and I'm, I'm delighted that, that other people do. But one of the things that distresses me is that most people do not appreciate our work nearly as much as we do ourselves. It it saddens me to no end because there's so much good work out there. And unfortunately, a lot of it is being, being missed just because there's, there is so much. It, It takes an awful lot on the part of the viewer to spend a moment or two with with something that has merit, and I, I certainly wish that that it were not so. I, I wish that we all had a little more time 
because th- there is so much work out there that that deserves our attention and the the artists the photographers who are putting their hearts and souls into the work that they do certainly do deserve to be noticed and um, appreciated for the things that they do. I could not agree more. And again, this goes back to what I was saying a minute ago. I think we need to up our game as viewers, as as audience, because there is so much good work out there. And, you know, we need to be ready to look at work that really stretches our boundaries, not just confirms the boundaries we've had for the last 20 years. Work that that remakes me is the work that I'm looking for. So fantastic, sir. Thank you again. You're very welcome. And I, and I do appreciate uh, the time we spent together. Frames. Because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com. <laughs>